0: The curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing, or bestiality. The curse of the devil.
1: Satan in control of the body
0: and the mind. My love will
1: destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nashy cast My name is Rod Barnett, and along with me, as usual, is...
3: Troy Gwynn.
2: And tonight, we welcome a brand new person to the podcast. Ah, uh, but a podcaster already is he... And I will stop speaking in backwards English, whatever that is. Uh, I'll stop speaking speaking like Yoda. How's that?
3: I was, I was just t- gonna say, what did what we suddenly are Yoda our host tonight? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I don't know. I had visions of Oompa Loompas in my head for no damn good reason whatsoever, <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't figure out English in the correct. It doesn't matter. Tonight, joining us because apparently he likes werewolf movies too. Is Robert Kelly, the host of Record All Monsters and the author of Record All Monsters, the Book of Essays from the Podcast. Mr. Kelly, how are you doing?
4: I'm doing pretty good, Rod, uh, Troy. It's nice to, to be here in this virtual uh living room or mm-hmm. wherever, uh, talking to you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you, man.
2: There he goes, breaking the illusion. Let people think we're all in the same room, you know, <laughs> sw- swilling champagne and <clears throat> and keeping the door closed against well, the groupies. Come well,
3: you know, and <laughs> that's just avatars. That's just avatars in my room that I'm looking at. I thought that was that. Thought you guys had actually dropped by.
4: I'm actually much more handsome than the uh, than the avatar. Uh, <laughs> no, and it's probably my fault. I am not, but it's, it's probably my fault that, that Rod was speaking backwards because I was doing something similar during the mic check. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, uh, so. yeah. That's right. You've you've infected me.
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. What
2: what a wise move to make yourself look better. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Mr. Kelly, we uh, we asked you to be on the show mainly because you had expressed an interest in uh, werewolf movies of a particular nature, sir. Uh, I suspect you must be a fan of Paul Nashy.
4: I am. I am. Uh, and I'm not sure how. Uh, how common my story coming to Paul Nashie is. Uh, a lot of people, like, I, I'm I'm into the kaiju community a lot, and a lot of people have the same kind of story. You know, Godzilla versus Megalon, what it, you know, when I was a kid. I don't know how many people encountered Paul Nashie when they were nine because their uncle bought them a $1 DVD.
2: Huh.
4: Um, but that's huh. my situation. Oh, wow. And, okay.
2: <laughs> Well, I can I can see that happening, but yeah. Please, so please tell us what was this uh, one dollar DVD? What was on it?
4: Well, it was uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Women. Oh wow! And uh, he had seen it on TV his whole life, so he thought, "Hey, my nephew who likes monsters mm-hmm. will probably get a kick out of this." And it was the dubbed public domain version, which is full of blood and boobs.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, I think that's a, that's the uncut, yeah. That's a, yes. That's
4: a, so, I uh, <laughs> uh, thankfully, no, I when I was like walking around the house asking anyone, do you want to watch this? Do you want to watch this? Everyone's like, not really. So, uh, <laughs> I, I was uh, I was corrupted on my own. Oh uh, man, what age, <laughs> what age were you again? I was eight or nine. Oh, gosh, wow, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh,
2: that's pretty young now, Troy. I don't remember how old you were when you saw your first Nashi film. Were you that young?
3: I was, pr- no, I would have thought I would have been, I probably was a little bit past that uh, because uh, I didn't see my first Nashi film till we got the UHF uh, channels uh, here in Nashville. Um, they never showed Nashi stuff on, you know, the, the big three, you know, the, the ABC, CBS, NBC. But when we got a couple of UHF channels, and that would have been more like probably around the mid. 70s to late 70s, so I was probably more like, yeah, so I was probably more like around 12, 13 when uh, um, my brother, like I've said, I I know I've told the story before on the show that my you know, my older brother saw Nashi before I did because he caught Horror Rises from the Tomb on uh, on the UHF channel and just could not stop talking about it and want me to see it. And it would be quite a while before it would circle back around where we'd actually catch it, but he 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 said, You've got to see this movie I saw, um, and then we. I think my first, like I've said, for my first viewing of Nashi was I caught uh, the last half hour of uh, you know Frankenstein's bloody terror. Um, um, it was on. It was on a Saturday morning, and they, they would always show double features uh, on Saturday mornings on the on uh, Channel Seventeen, the UHF channel. And uh, I think I was I saw that. Oh, it was a Frankenstein movie I've never seen before. You know, that caught my eye, and it was coming on right before Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. So I was gearing up. You know. Uh, to watch Godzilla vs. Small Monster and managed to catch the very end of this movie and noticed that I never saw any Frankenstein monster, but I sure <laughs> saw. But what I did see was two werewolves and a couple of vampires, and so I was I was sold, you know. And, and of course, it it took several more years before I you know I would put the piece you know kind of put it all together as to oh this Paul Naschy is actually somebody of significance in horror movies. But I you know over the years after that we would see. You know, me and my brother would see his him pop up. We'd say, "Oh, is that guy?" Because they'd show House of Psychotic Women popped up on TV once, and a couple other things. Count Dracula's Great Love would show up, and and so we began to recognize him as an actor. you know, but you know, a lot of, as with most people, it takes a few years before you you have to kind of go on that journey. And we'll hear about yours, Robert, about uh, how uh, you know how how uh, uh, that film led to uh, uh, to further po- nashy viewing, further nashy involvement there.
2: Well, yeah, I was about to say Robert, <clears throat> at what uh, so how many times uh and how surreptitiously did you rewatch that particular DVD?
4: So that was that was one after I watched it the first time, I was like, "Oh, I'm getting away with something." And then, <laughs> even even before the the first, you know, not the first kill, but in the woods with the the girl over the credits, right? Even before that, it felt so different from like i'd I'd just watched all the universal movies as a kid. I'd seen a couple of hammer movies at that point, which had scared the hell out of me uh <laughs> <laughs> but the uh this felt off already like as it was starting with the autopsy. First of all, it was just yeah. like this is just the beginning of Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, but something's weird. <laughs> Something's yeah. different. Yeah. So I would watch it pretty much anytime I was I was at home by myself a lot. But like both my parents worked, and I, the youngest kids, so my my three older sisters were always in like various extracurriculars. And so my grandparents lived with us, but they would you know check in, check out. So it would be like, oh, I'm gonna be home by myself more or less for the next three hours might as well pop this in and (laughs) (laughs) it was was
3: like having that certain magazine and in, you know, in the bottom of your, your drawers or something, you know, like hidden there that you, you know, drag out. So it's like that
4: almost, but not quite because for, again, for most of the movie, if my, my Mm -hmm. grandma poked her head into the TV room or whatever, there wasn't anything she was going to be unhappy about seeing, you you know, but you know, if I'm the, I don't think I don't know if it ever happened that she came in and was like, "Oh my God, uh, what are you watching?"
3: <laughs>
4: well, she I think didn't.
3: So she didn't happen to look in and see like you know the the famous you know uh, throat meat throat meat uh, scene there.
4: With, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think I don't think I ever got caught with this one. And again, like someone would poke their head in, and it was just like. You know, three people sitting around in the woods talking about, oh, well, maybe the tomb's over here. You
2: know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, Robert, just how, if you if you have any vague memories of it or even some sharp ones, is, is the, well, how long did it take before you saw more Paul Nashy films? Or was it just uh, Catch a Sketch Can? It,
4: it took a, a while because I didn't even because this was in the public domain and that's how I got a hold of it. And his his name it was on in a little cardboard envelope. The DVD was in a cardboard envelope. I remember
3: those. I remember some of those would come like that.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and it it just had like someone put this together in like Microsoft Word art with like <laughs> a werewolf and a vampire, and they wrote werewolf versus vampire woman. So and but his name was at the top in like drippy blood letters, Paul Nashie. Mm-hmm. And so I recognized the name, and of course it's all over the credits. And I... Uh, so I would look for it in other things, because again, I hadn't really encountered any Euro horror at this point, and I didn't really know what it was. It was just this one-off weird werewolf movie for maybe even a decade.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And then uh, what really happened actually was the, uh, the Shout Factory Blu-ray set came out you know, almost what fifteen years later, and I, it like unlocked something in my brain. Oh wow! <laughs> and I was like, "Paul Naschy, Werewolf versus Vampire Woman." I haven't thought about that movie, and you know, oh my gosh, yeah. And I bought it right away as soon as I saw it. We used to have this wonderful bookstore in town that was part of a chain called Hastings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Hastings too and the nationally they went bankrupt because of some stupid malfeasance and I'll never get over it um because they had not just mainstream movies but also all these weird things like that these these, uh boutique and niche releases and usually at you know a pretty reasonable price so I could you know just drive down to Hastings and scan through and oh yeah here's uh, the the Paul Massey Shout Factory Blu-ray oh here's you know the the Destroy All Monsters Blu-ray from uh, Tokyo Shop yeah yeah you know there next to like you know whatever the you know equivalent of a top 40 movie would be you know (laughs) that was how I all the dots connected I didn't have a a slow process but there was a big wow
3: no, that is, that's, but that's fascinating though. That's amazing that you, 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 your leap went from a dollar DVD to suddenly a Blu-ray set that kind of immediately, yeah, because you didn't have the story we get from so many people where they're like, oh, and then I found this bootleg, and then I went hunting for this, and uh, that's that's actually amazing. There, that's a, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool, very no, no, you're that's a very different story than what we normally hear on here. So that's pretty cool.
2: Well, at this point, I'm assuming you've seen a number of more Paul Naschy films.
4: I, uh-huh. yeah.
2: Yeah, my question would be, um, well, wh- what's your what's your current favorite? I mean, what which which of the films that you've seen do you uh, do you gravitate toward more than the others?
4: Well, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman, of course, is going to be my, you know, it's it's my North Star. It's the one that started everything. Uh-huh. But as I've that one never really faded from memory, so I never had like a false idea of what it was like. But as I watched other nashy movies like now i think if you were to put a gun to my head i'd probably say hunchback of the morgue is my favorite but mm, mm. i might go blue eyes of the broken doll or horror rises from the tomb at any yeah given point like it just depends on uh when you catch me mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. i
4: understand that
3: i understand that those are some those are some 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 real winners you just uh just mentioned there those are all strong strong films
2: well, I mean, you you seem to have uh, flowered in your love for Nashi at about the right time, which is, uh, of course, yeah. as soon as it's right in front of you and you can just grab it like it's off of a, <laughs> grab it like it's off a buffet table. It's like give me everything that you have, and you it's don't have much. to. You didn't have to suffer through the the things that Troy and I and so many other people had to suffer through, which is the. The never-ending quest for bootlegs and and variant versions and all the hunting yeah. and scraping and finding and searching and entered uh, you've entered the the Nashi fandom at uh, at a time in which the the pickings are copious. You can just stick your hands into a great big pile. The uh, I think I may have. Uh, lost count of the number of Nashi films that are now available here in the states on Blu-ray, and that is a good thing. I want them to keep coming, keep
4: coming, keep
2: coming. I mean, currently we're all waiting for Mondo Macabro to get uh, Dr. Jekyll and the and the Wolfman out into yes. everybody's hands. The uh, the the joys, uh, hopefully, if we're very lucky, will keep coming, and we'll see more and more of these things. Um, when you start talking about favorites. Uh, at this point, I have to admit most of my favorites and all of my all of the films that I would put in the top ten for Nashi, bar one, are uh, available on Blu-ray now, and that is a wonderful thing to be able to say. The reason I, I say bar one is that uh, one of the one of the later career films of his that still isn't available on Blu-ray is uh, Rojo Sangre from uh, the early two thousands. Uh, I do still hope for that to make its way yeah. to uh to to Blu-ray here in this country. I want you know, there's several others that I can name very very easily, not to make you know, first of all, there's still three of the uh of the Doninsky films that haven't come out. <clears throat> uh let's see, Lycantropo, uh Curse the Devil, and uh the first, the kickoff, the Mark of the Werewolf or the uh uh, Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, which whichever title I don't care what title it, they could put it out as Werewolf Film Number One, and I'd be fine <laughs> with it as long as it looks good and, and has some nice some nice extras. You have my money. So uh, you have entered the the you have essentially entered the chat at the best possible time, which was you know what is about I guess seven eight years ago, yeah eight years ago, when uh, they put the first sets of uh, the shout factories, uh, the, the shout factories, five film sets out. But those were those were glorious days. Those were
4: yeah.
2: those are wonderful, and they they keep flowing. If we're, very, I, I feel like a, I feel like a junkie talking like I just watched dude, The spice must flow. You know, it's something. something we got we got to keep this going, folks. I don't know what, how we do it by hook or by crook, but I don't. I, I, I'm I've I've stopped threatening people, and now I'm just begging. So. So, uh, you, when we asked you to come on the show, this the, the film you wanted to talk about was uh, apparently your first love, uh, The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. And uh, there is a lot to say about that movie. First of all, once again, uh, we are very lucky in that Vinegar Syndrome has put it out in a very nice Blu-ray set, including uh, uh, a UHD, uh, uh, I, I, a 4K, I could not believe the 4K... Uh, Nashi comes to 4k everybody bow down it's you know overdue
3: yeah Yeah, i know man it just great
2: blows me blows me away the fact that they included uh three different cuts of it including my preferred cut i i have to admit i i know that it was never shown theatrically this way but what they refer to as the integral cut the longest one which takes the spanish language version with uh, the extra scenes in it and substitutes in the uh the unclothed sequences from uh, the for, you know, from the non-Spanish version. Uh, I, I prefer that because, as with all films like this, uh, there, there's an old saying from Roger Ebert: No bad movie is, uh, uh, no, no, no bad movie is ever short enough and no good movie is ever long enough so the more the merrier bring it on I want to see all of it and so that's uh, that's my preferred way of seeing it and it's like it's nice to have those other cuts and I'll admit I'll eventually watch them just out of curiosity again
0: coming soon to this theater a ghastly ghoulish and totally incredible motion picture the werewolf versus the vampire woman This is one day the queen of the vampires and Satan's favorite mistress. Supreme, and things will happen that have never been seen by human beings. Your blood will boil, and your flesh will crawl. No one can escape the vampires, and no one can run from the werewolves. <coughs> sensational fight to the finish ever filmed. See, the werewolf versus the vampire woman.
2: <sighs> yes, it's on Blu-ray now, and that was yes. the big one. They the, took forever for some reason for this one to make it to Blu-ray, and uh, was a real surprise when the announcement came because it just came out of nowhere, and suddenly they're, they're telling us it's coming out, and we're stunned. So, Troy I, I we you and I were yeah. joking a few weeks ago about how this is our opportunity to finally pull the plastic off of our blu-rays <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh,
2: and yeah. so uh, just j- Troy just uh, uh, my reaction was uh, one of great joy to be able to watch this film again and what I'm going to assume is probably as good a, 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 as good looking a presentation as we're likely to ever see yeah, and I just I would wonder be. I just wondered uh, whether uh, whether you liked the film still or if you were disappointed
3: or <laughs> Yeah, no I'm <laughs> I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was great because it, it'd been a while, you know, I did it, it was, and it came, you know, yeah. just once I'd seen it in it, uh, I can't remember. I don't know. I don't know if I had watched it since, since we did. Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd watched it since we did our, our episode on it. That might've been the last time that I had seen it. So, uh, um, so yeah, it was great to to see it again. Now I've not even had a chance to watch the uh, version you're talking about, Rod. I plan to, you know, I, I watched the 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 uh, you know the standard I guess standard uncut, you know, cut English or dub or whatever uh, English or uncut, and then wow. I uh, uh not gotten around to uh to watching the integral cut as they call it. And certainly, yeah, I will. I'm I'm actually kind of right now is just going through the extras. I watched the interview with Sergio, and I'm I'm going to be really looking forward to doing the rewatch of the. uh the documentary, which uh, Robert, have you gotten to see that yet? The uh, I,
4: I haven't gotten to watch it yet. the oh, The no. night I, the night this uh, this Blu-ray arrived, uh, I told my wife we're canceling any plans we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're watching this movie, and I felt like it was a bridge too far to say. Okay, now we're going to watch this feature length documentary.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand.
4: But that's, uh, yeah, that's something that's on my list. Hmm. Well, it's, it's a fantastic
2: documentary. It really is. Very good. It really is exceptional. And of course, adding that to the package was just a brilliant move on Vinegar Syndrome's part and shows, uh, well, the whole package just shows the, the great care and concern that they, they take with most of the, I mean, most everything that they, they tackle. And it's, it's an exceptional package and I'm really glad it's out there, but, uh, I wanted to say, um in case robert i'm not sure if you're aware of this but there's a uh, first of all troy i also don't think that i have rewatched this particular film until now and i think the gap was probably years in length um i'm not sure if it was I, i think i may have watched it once since we covered it for the show because we covered this the first year of the podcast and Troy, I don't want to. I don't want to make you feel any grayer than you are. But that was for, that was fourteen years ago now. So,
3: <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I'm starting to. I'm starting to feel like it's time for the. The podcast has reached an age where it's having to, uh, you know, like comb hair over its bald spot, and so I think <laughs> that uh, I'm beginning to fear that, uh, man. Some things, some things go on too long. But the, uh, the, the watching of it this time, watching the, uh, watching the Spanish cut and watching it with subtitles mm-hmm. uh, gave me the opportunity to realize something that I had completely forgotten. Um, Robert, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, one of the more amusing things that has ever happened on the podcast uh, uh, was when we covered this film the first time, we were covering it by watching the English language version of it, not the, the not a subtitled version, but the one with the English language dub. And uh, Troy, I don't uh, you say you watched the English language dub out of the out of this set.
3: You know, I said that, but uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it might have been the subtitled version that I watched uh, so far of the. Yeah, I believe it was. Uh,
2: okay, well, did you notice that that occur, that that the most famous moment, at least for those for those looking for humor. Uh, yeah. Is is of course very different in the Spanish language cut. It is. Uh, yeah. One of the yeah. amazing moments, <laughs> one of the amazing moments in uh, the English language dub is uh, something that we both made fun of, but Troy riffed so hard in our uh, in our initial podcast about this film that it, it kind of became legend and actually did become a a, a footnote in a book about Spanish horror films. Yeah. Uh, written by written by a friend of ours and. Uh, the whole thing revolves around uh, the the tr- the trip down to town that Pierre uh, takes uh, Gabby Fuchs's character on, and uh, let's just say the dialogue in that scene in the English cut gets way out of control to the point where you start to realize that Pierre is certifiably insane, and. Uh, uh but the, the 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 funny thing to me is I was watching it in the Spanish cut and it had been so long since I watched the movie that I'm watching that and that scene comes up and I'm kind of sitting there all all geared up it's like yeah all right and and the scene goes on and it's and, and Pierre remains relatively sane there's nothing yeah. crazy in the Spanish version all the dialogue in Spanish is just Normal. I mean, he's not a crazy person. He's not babbling about, you know, not cutting your hair and all kinds of idiotic yeah. <laughs> garbage.
3: It's so- non sequitur, just bizarre stream of consciousness stuff that he does in the English, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, we'd, we'd say like, yeah, that there needed to we came up with the idea of the game show that there need to be like a game show called Riding with Pierre. You know, that uh, <laughs> each week you have some famous person, celebrity or artist or famous person from history uh, riding in the truck with Pierre while he gives his stream of consciousness. Ramble towards them, and then, and, and eventually ends like who can make it? Which which of the contestants can make it longest without throwing themselves out of the truck? You know <laughs> themselves, you know. So, but yet, but it, it makes you wonder. Then you have to ask the question: what What went on in the dubbing session for this? Yes. You know, so, what uh,
4: inhale. What's going on? I I actually I, I re-listened to your episode uh, the other day about it, so that. That is fresh in my mind. Uh, and again, I also, I grew up watching the dub. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so I always wondered that. I thought he was just, you know, a nut. Uh, <laughs> I one, one of my areas uh, in, in uh, Record All Monsters, with the kaiju stuff, is I, I kind of like to, I guess you could call me a dub apologist because I'm, one of my big, you know, axes to grind is mm. film accessibility. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a defender. I don't think it's as good. Of course, uh, the the Raymond Burr Godzilla King of the Monsters. I defend the choice and the existence of that film. Oh, me too. Absolutely. I think I know where you're going, and I totally yeah. And my my thought is, in the Spanish version, we don't feel like she's in danger with Pierre.
2: No, no, not yeah, at all.
4: Right and i felt like the uh i think i personally feel like the choice in the dub was we want this to continue to feel uncomfortable yeah again yeah. i don't i don't have evidence for that or anything but you know just in the the kind of research i've done into like looking up who dubs these things which i haven't done for this film um there usually is a if not a good reason at least an explanation <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind a lot of these weird choices in dubbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not just that they were just,
3: found, you know, were trying to be silly with it or that they were stoned or something, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of cases, they're trying to do something creative with it. And you, you know, you're right. And, and you're right. It's a good point that they might've been just trying to keep that feeling of unease going on there. You know, that, uh, <laughs> that which, everybody, which I weren't.
2: can understand because if the, well, only, if the only way, I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: No no, I'm sorry, but I was just gonna say it totally fits with nashi's depiction of you know, typical depiction of villagers in his movies of all being like either cutthroat murderous thieves or just demented and and you know and and village idiots or all that you know I mean it's kinda of like oh, yeah. you know uh, at, it's like at, b-
2: at best people who were kicked in the head by a horse as a child <laughs> and yeah. at worst yeah. murderous murderous bandits yeah yeah
4: yeah, yeah. well I'm, you know in in you know he nashi remade this himself to an extent with uh, mm-hmm. Night of the Werewolf. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember, it's been a minute since I've seen that one, but I think he also, there's no like one-to-one Pierre character, no. but I think we, we get that that tension when there's uh, any scene with the villagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. That it maintains. And it kind of makes me wonder how aware of the, the uh, US dub Nashi would have been.
3: Oh, I, you know, he may. I don't know. He, is, may never, he may never. actually. He may not have ever actually seen it. Right. He, you know. Because like might.
4: that's a thing with Ishiro Honda with the Godzilla movies. I'm gonna bring up. I'm gonna tie this all into Godzilla. Don't worry. Hey. Uh, hey. Uh,
3: <laughs> two, two, two of the three. You know, two of the three of us will be on board.
4: Uh, Ishiro Honda. You know, he when he was uh, editing the Godzilla films to play the champion festivals in the late seventies. Uh-huh. Yeah. He looked for pacing uh, f- to the American edits. You know, sometimes even said he was like, oh, this is paced better. Mm-hmm, hmm And I think, I, I wonder if, you know, in the, the things Nash she wanted to change, he was like, oh, I like, I think this works. Mm-hmm. Well, well it, you... it's
2: famously something that a lot of filmmakers, uh, the, mm-hmm. let, let me put it this way. Uh, one of the first times I ever encountered the idea of a director uh, revisiting their work was actually not uh, a released version of a film, but what it was was uh, John Frankenheimer, uh, late in his career, had made a film. This was in the late 80s, and um, he described after the fact, after it had gotten released, and if memory serves, not doing particularly well, but I don't think that really factors into it, uh, talking about how he had um, he'd fi- he'd finished directing the film, had finished the edit of the film, and it was pretty much ready to go, and then he went off and shot a music video with uh, a band that were friends of his. And the experience of doing that for a couple of weeks uh, kind of changed his perspective on a few things. And he went back into the editing room on the feature film and trimmed the film down and did some changes to how he looked at bringing the the, the final edit into place. And he says, "I, I ended up liking the film better with my change in attitude toward editing, and he, he trimmed some stuff out of it. He talked about this at the time, and so the the idea of uh, looking at your work through the lens of the perspective of eliminating fat, eliminating things that doesn't ne- things that don't necessarily uh, push the story forward. I can understand, but then I also have that that warring thought within my head, which I've already expressed earlier. Which is, uh, I want to see it all, and right. uh, there's there's a part of me that kind of almost always hopes for. At least two versions of a film, if not three, I don't care. You know, let me see, let me see the work print. Let me see what they looked at and went, My God, we screwed this up. I don't want to leave this in the freaking movie, or people are gonna think we're idiots. I want to see it all because it just enhances my enjoyment of not just the the film itself, but I love the peaks behind the scenes of the creative process of how eliminating a certain scene within a, a film alters your perspective. On character alters your idea and your feel about how the movie flows and why things happen. I, I, I love all of that. When, uh, there's a there's another great example of this, which is uh, uh, one of one of one of my favorite Toby Hooper films, which is Life Force. And mm-hmm. I, so I saw that film on a pan and scan VHS of the the American theatrical version for years, and I would never have tried to convince anybody. For that long period of time that it was a great film by any stretch of the imagination because of course it was shorn of about was it I think like 15 minutes maybe mm-hmm. maybe even closer to 20 and of course it was shot widescreen and I'm watching it pan and scan so God knows I knew at the time I was missing image but when it did get released on Laserdisc and then eventually on DVD and Blu-ray in that full length cut where you could see the whole picture and you can see Everything that was originally supposed to be in the film
3: yeah
2: I now I'm now willing to you know grab an edge weapon, have a knife fight, defend the film <laughs> uh, be, because uh, the, the, there is a big difference between what I grew up watching on VHS and thinking, you know, Wow, there's so much here that I enjoy, and yeah, I know it doesn't really hang together well, and yeah, there are giant logic gaps and story problems, and, and people act inconsistently, and there's just stupid, stupid shit in this fucking thing. And then, to have almost all, but not quite all, <laughs> of those Ooh. problems go away in a uh-huh. longer cut has kind of yeah. cemented my feelings over the years about wanting to see everything. I want to see the full-length cut of it. I want to see the longest available cut of it, and even if it doesn't necessarily improve the pacing of it, at least I want mm-hmm. to have that. I want to have that story piece in my head and available available for me to access as I'm experiencing the story. Yeah. And so, yeah, I understand cutting to make it lean, cutting to make it fast, cutting to make it short. Uh, I get all that, but in a lot of cases it it has almost not just a good and a bad side but almost uh it, it it I think sometimes its detriments outweigh its its positives but it really all depends on whatever film you're talking about
0: yes
4: uh and i think you know we're really lucky that we live in in an age where these releases like this uh the 4K vinegar syndrome put out of this movie you know it doesn't make you have to choose beyond which version am I gonna watch right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh and like things like and other other distributors are doing that, like Synapses with their uh their Tombs of the Blind Dead release. Yes that they put the American version, the international version, and then some Frankenstein of the two mm-hmm. together. Like we we're living at a time when this matters to what Not just the people who are buying these things, but the people who are distributing them. Yeah.
2: And of course, uh, one day we will get the full alternate Earth version of Tombs of the Blind Dead, where they just (laughs) substitute in CGI apes for the entire thing. Yes, yes. Thereby completing my desire for the fabled blind dead Planet of the Apes crossover. So,
4: <laughs> I think that the trailer is on that disc. It, well, that. It's, it's the it's the open,
2: it's the it's batshit yeah. crazy opening credits where yeah, <laughs> and it's like all that's done is feed my desire to have something like that exist. It never will unless I suddenly become a billionaire and can fund it myself. But nevertheless,
4: that, that that would be incredible. I think. Uh I I was told my wife this. I think nearly every movie can be improved with a monkey or two. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do
2: not tell John Hudson this Troy, no. rush.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't need any more invisible chimp bullshit in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn. Anyway, oh, sometimes sometimes I have to bring it up just as a defense. It's like a shield. Do not mention yeah. this bullshit. Okay. <laughs>
4: Well but but how how would this movie have played out differently if Pierre was an intelligent chimp? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I don't know, but it it does actually get me back to a question that I was going to ask a few minutes ago, which is that if all I had ever seen was the American uh dub, the the English dub, I would still r- rate this film as slightly bizarre for the fact that after that, you know, after that adventure of writing with Pierre, Elvira, Elvira, the uh, the Gabby Fuchs character, doesn't somehow makes it back to her beloved boyfriend the werewolf and doesn't grab him by the face and go, You gotta get rid of this motherfucker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well I
3: mean by that By that point, hadn't she already been, like, assaulted in her bed by his sister? You know, so. Yes.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know. Pretty
3: much brush that aside. as like, you know, oh, okay, well, that's all right. You know. That's
4: just how people are around here.
2: Yeah. (laughs) We're out in in rural France,
4: quote, unquote,
2: even though it's really just, you know, Spain. Shush, shush, everybody. It's France. We're going to (laughs) lie to you again because nothing bad happens in Spain except dictatorships. But,
4: hey. Right. Who are we to judge?
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're us. We're gonna judge. We always judge. I judge. I judge the length of my own toenails. Something is wrong. So I gotta judge. Anyway, let's 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 get back on track here. Suddenly, I, suddenly, I'm thinking down the wrong road. I, every time anybody, even myself, mentions that goddamn invisible invisible chimp bullshit, suddenly everything goes off the rails. I hate everyone. I hate you all. This podcast is over. No. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> deep breath mm-hmm. I'll calm down you'll calm down and we will move into this segment of things
1: <sighs> we're going to the village on the old road might take time you'll enjoy the trip Pierre, would you take me to the post office? I'm Miller Levin at Leisha there is no post office but I would like you to see our nice butcher shop There's many other interesting things in our village, like our peaceful little cemetery. I go every Sunday. You know, people are afraid of those who live near the monastery. (laughs) They think I'm crazy. You don't think I'm crazy, do you? I get angry when people think I'm crazy. Well, I have a good reputation. I think all people should have a good reputation. Yes, I do. Did you hear about the woman? She was found murdered last night, near where you're living. Some say a werewolf tore open her throat. Even I have been under suspicion. No, I never killed anyone. No, no. People blab all the time. They say a lot of things about me. It is only lies they are spreading. Rumors, and none of them are true. You're very beautiful. I love your long red hair. It's lovely. Don't ever cut it. Why do women cut their hair? Maybe they think it makes them look nicer, but it doesn't. Not at all. You know, I think I could like you. You know, there are many women I don't like. Not at all. Ah.
2: Now, Robert, (laughs) as the guest, I'm going to ask you this question because I kind of already know Troy's thoughts on this. Uh, You mentioned earlier that uh, Nashi basically remade this film years later, directing it himself. I have always flipped back and forth on which of the two versions of the story I prefer, and almost always end up preferring this film. But there have been times over the years where the other version of it is something that I would I would rather rewatch. Uh, I find the improvements that Nashi made to be interesting, uh, even while I don't find Nashi's uh, I don't I I, I don't find Nashi's direction of certain sequences to be as eerie and creepy as what Leon Klamovsky pulls off in. Uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. I absolutely can understand people falling on either side of the fence there. So, several questions for you. First of all, I'm assuming that you're going to have preferred the earlier version, this version of the of the story.
4: That is correct, and I'm I mean, I'm willing to chalk that up to nostalgia. But, you know, having seen them both multiple times at this point, this is the one I'm going to choose to watch more often than not. Okay. And I think uh, Klamovsky handles the general eeriness, the gothic, like he brings a touch of this gothicness to contemporary time. Nashi is a much more, in terms of dramatic presentation, a much flatter director, but I think he does some of the horror, not horror, but the action sequences stronger than Klamovsky. I think one example of that would be the the window jump scene, yeah that is yeah. in both both films klamovsky's is really just okay, so the script says he looks around and jumps through the window and then we see him come out the other side. you know Nashi makes a meal out of that whole setup and and,
2: and, it, and that's a good way to put it, and, yeah. and it is Nashi's desire sometimes to. Quote unquote, make a meal out of a section of, of the story that can sometimes push people away or make, you know, make everybody kind of get, tilt their head a little bit like a dog that just heard a weird sound in the distance. Uh, I've often okay. described, well, years ago when I was first talking very, you know, seriously about Paul Nashie films, and this was before we even started the podcast, I would describe the difference between, um, Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman and Night of the Werewolf as since the since the, uh, the, the redo is being directed by the star, uh, sometimes the star and the director are really simpatico and sometimes the director is really in love with his star and kind of <laughs> lingers a little too long on what a badass he is. And so there are some there are some specific shots in the second version of the story where I think director Nashie lets down the werewolf and I think that sometimes less is more and sometimes uh, what he what he pulls off really pays off but so, sometimes uh, being a little too in love with that werewolf makeup is uh, is uh, a, a, a situation where as a viewer I feel like maybe a little less would have been a little bit more uh, not that I don't love both versions of the film but right. in overall I think I prefer the atmosphere of this one, even though the man, the photography of the second one is just so beautiful. Yeah. Um, um, but I have to say, even in comparison now with this Blu-ray of this particular film, my feelings of the you know the the visuals the this, the cinematography of the second outweighing the cinematography of the first one is kind of been knocked back a notch or two because seeing it presented like this in high def. Makes me appreciate the beauty of this of the original film a little bit more now.
3: You know, uh, and 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 also Robert, you know you mentioned that the action sequences being a little stronger in Nashi's version. I would say I've always felt like the final battle between the vampire and werewolf is better in Nashi's version. Than, yes. Than, yeah. Than it is in uh, uh than it is in in uh this one we're talking about tonight.
2: So here's another question that always comes up, no matter what you do, if you're if you're going to talk about the Paul Nashi werewolf films, this inevitably becomes a question of, well, which are your favorites of the Deninsky Werewolf films? So Robert, which you know, obviously this one, for almost anybody, is gonna fall in their in their top two or three. Uh but which are the others that you uh that you would that you would rate uh as high or at least as high as this one?
4: I think uh Night of the Howling Beast, Werewolf and the Yeti. Uh yeah, yeah. okay. Would probably mm-hmm. I think just as a film, I think it's better than this one. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Because, although this one feels like one story instead of four stories Paul Maschie wanted to stitch together. (laughs) Um, But that one is so much fun. And I I like Assignment Terror a lot. It's very far from perfect. But I I just have such a great time with that. Mm. Uh, And I was surprised uh, when I... Got my you know, I, I haven't had you know, I've had a very easy time finding most of these films, but there are some. Uh so like when I found Dr. Jekyll versus the werewolf. Yeah. Uh I was surprised. Uh because I had kind of built it up. It let me down a little bit, but it was still really good. And mm. I go back to it mentally like Oh, you know, that's really perspective. You know, that it you were yeah. like, aw. It no. was, it was really good. It was one of the best ones I think that I've that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, th- is that a, a messy, incoherent enough answer?
3: No, that was great. <laughs> Did you? Well, no, that was that. Those were those were all. I mean, that's always. I mean, it's always just fascinating thing to hear how people, you know, how they rate the werewolf films and how they line them up as far as you know their favorites. And it's always a great. I always love hearing the the answers to that. Um, and then you talk about and with Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, I mean, certainly know, I certainly know what you're talking about that you can come into films for a while your anticipation builds up so much for them that the first viewing isn't always like you need the repeated viewing, you know, you least need a second, you know, the first time around is like, you know, you've seen, so, you spent so much in your head and, and then it, you have to kind of separate that you know, once you get past that first viewing, feel like oh, okay, it wasn't. quite... Oh, yeah,
2: especially open, if it's something right? that you've been. If it's something that yeah. you've built up in your head and you've really been trying to get your hands on, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: No, because that was that was a while. I, I got tricked by some, uh, a bootleg uh, on bootlegger on Etsy, uh, and I got a, a Blu-ray of that, and it was the same as the you know Mill Creek DVD VHS rip. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was like, so I was bitter about that as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: well, I think it's funny that I, 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 tr- I have tried and tried and tried, and I can't remember. Uh, I, at this at this point, you know, fourteen years into a podcast about Paul Nashi, I have to admit some of my memories are dim about this. But I, 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 I think that the way I first saw. Dr. Jekyll and the, and the the Werewolf may have been the uh, nude version from Sinister Cinema, uh, which was a, I guess you'd call it a, a gray market company. They're still around, thank yes. God. Uh, but uh, I think, Troy, that may have been one of the videotapes that you loaned me early on in our Nashy Madness way back in the 90s. I know that you had... Uh, uh, a videotape from Sinister Cinema that had—is that where I saw Horror horror Rises from the Tomb*? Is that where you got that version of it?
3: That sounds right. I uh, Sinister Cinema, I believe. Yeah, that would—I—I I don't, you know, I can't 100% say yes, but it would totally make sense, and that—that's where—that's where we got it from.
2: And then, uh, and then it was—you know—that was one of the films where it was a—a—a a, a harsh discovery to realize that the—the—the the, the most common way to see it looking good was uh with the was was the spanish cut with all of the nudity removed which was a real disappointment uh, disappointment to a uh, mm-hmm. yeah a, a, young, a young man uh with a libido <laughs> of normal status and uh the 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 the, the uh, I'm just I'm just pleased that even though they couldn't get pristine versions of the nude sequences at least we're going to have a full you know we're going to have both cuts of it when this mono macabro blu-ray comes out the joys of uh, sifting through that kind of stuff, you know, part of the thrill of these movies has always gone, has always been, along with all the Euro, you know, the Eurocult stuff that we know and love, is that that. Transcendent thrill of suddenly being confronted with uh, something a little over the top in the sexual realm, Uh, be it nudity or be it some kind of bizarre sexual right. You know, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm not not going so far as bestiality, although you can find that if you watch the right
3: movies. (laughs) Yeah, there's one out there that Rod and I even did a commentary on that you can find. That's got uh, got bestiality. This is true,
2: folks. The film is Black Candles,
3: and uh, you
2: you you will (laughs) believe. believe a woman can enjoy goat but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: you'll have you'll find it harder to you'll find it harder to believe you'll find it harder to believe that the goat was enjoying it though so yeah <laughs> this
2: yeah that's, this is very true the
3: goat, goat kind of mails it in in that one there.
2: <laughs> the goat had other things on its mind
3: <laughs> the goat was like i'm going to fire my agent yeah <laughs>
2: I have you know, to screw I, to get off this picture. Oh, her?
4: wait. I hope, I hope it wasn't the same goat representative for uh, Island of death.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was, I saw that. I saw that many years later and, and I just, wa- I just want to, I just want to thank goodness that those two things were spaced out for me. And like,
3: <laughs>
2: if, if I'd seen those within a year of each other, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I would have been able to recover enough to actually continue to have relationships of a normal status with, with human females. It would have just put me into the corner mentally.
4: So you would have just been too, too, you know, hung up on goats uh, or just fearful that suddenly a goat was going to appear in any, any sexual relationship. And
2: then, and then the woman that I was with would just look at me like, well, this is part of it. I mean, what do you, what, what, why is such a weird look on your face? I mean, here's the goat. Here's the, go- come on. It's, is it the wrong color? Do you not like this color? I mean, you know, <laughs> God, okay. I have derailed us hideously, and for that, I want to apologize. And so, since it was my criminal malfeasance that got us to the point of talking about goat sex, allow me to get us back to normal sex—a uh, <laughs> relatively normal sex. I mean, how normal is yeah. sex when you're being told from almost the moment that you, you know, get naked and rub uglies with somebody that, hey, I'm gonna need you to kill me.
4: Uh, yeah. <laughs> That scene that scene which she's first of all the, the just the relationship between them with with uh, Genevieve telling her throughout the movie like hey don't forget you've got a boyfriend <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, a
2: perfectly good looking nice guy
4: yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's just like Haha, yeah anyway yeah I, think, oh, I, man, may, I should... think
2: I may screw this guy over here <laughs> yeah. because,
4: hey look it's a
2: vacation thing nobody needs nobody needs to get hurt
4: right but that just first just the inevitability the inevitability I feel like even if you haven't seen a Paul Nashie movie where if there's more if there's a woman in it he's gonna have sex with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) even without that it just feels inevitable in the movie yeah, like, well,
2: yeah. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't even matter if he's playing a deformed character. It's like, how many women in the film? Yeah, it not well, that, that that hunch ain't gonna matter. So,
3: <laughs> and to these films' credit, you know, your horror films' credit, at least the Spanish ones or at least the Nashy ones. There's a, uh, you know, let's let's narrow it down to. I Always got always. I think we we probably brought this up on the podcast before, or our show before Rod. But it's, you know, one thing that's kind of refreshing about it is that there's really not the. Have sex and die, or the punishment, or the the virginal character is the virginal woman is the good one, or the what well, you know because yeah. yeah, there's really in these films you know that just you know both there's really not any like you know virginal girls. I mean they're even like even the the one the girl who's going to be our our final girl or our heroine or the woman who's going to do the noble thing, fall in love with Paul Nashi and, and shoot you know and blow his brains out or whatever you know at the end of the film. You know, <laughs> True love. There's no, there's no sense. I mean, she, you know, she's as quick to jump into bed with him as any of the other female characters are. So it's kind of like, you know, now, now being a Paul Nashie film in most of the films, everybody dies, you know, but it's kind of like, there's always this feeling of, you know, we're not punishing, you know, you're just going to die because you're in a Paul Nashie film. You're not going to die because your character has sex, you know, that's, uh, there's not that. So at least that's kind of actually refreshing. You know, when you come across that and realize that uh, that's not an aspect of these films, that's that's, you know, Well,
2: that is something that I think is it shows up less often in European horror films uh, Mm -hmm. than it does in American and sometimes even British films, American films. It's just rife. I mean, we've got that Puritan streak that Mm -hmm. that seems to survive no matter what we do, that drives almost every uh, almost every American brain into the corner of, you know, have sex and be punished. But
3: in European yeah, films... Yeah, we we've still just barely stepped off the Mayflower in those terms, yeah. you know. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. We've, we've barely we've barely shed our pilgrim shackles and still... Yeah. We, it's, it, but but the thing is, uh, that, that's something that I find refreshing because uh, a, as crazy as this is going to sound when we're talking about a film involving werewolves and vampires, for God's sake, it's still... It, it's refreshing to me to have stories... In which people do what people do, which is yeah. they have sexual relationships with each other, and mm. the fact that they have sexual relationships does not mark them for death. Uh, mm. All all that it seems to do, and and this is this is the best way for this to play out. Sometimes putting yourself in a compromised situation by engaging in a sexual act or a sexual relationship. Is what gets you into danger, but it's not because you're doing something that's, you know, for lack of a better term, sinful, that mm-hmm. marks you for death. And yeah. it's, it, it, I, I, enjoy the European film sensibility of that. Not that it doesn't occasionally show up there, because oh,
3: oh yeah, sure. it's
2: it's 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 a nice cheap quick shortcut mm-hmm. to get you to the, uh, uh, to to get. Uh, salacious content in front of you, and then you know, bring the bring the big knife or the or the axe into the room, and let things fly, both limbs and you know, blood. But mm-hmm. it's it's always refreshing when, like you're pointing out, Troy, in a film like this, where well, no, man, this there's there's not a there there's not a a, a, a an evil sexual vixen. And uh, a virginal woman, cl- you know, clutching a-, a crucifix close to her chest. No, no, they're just normal mm-hmm. folks, people well, who, yeah. you know, have your standard adult-style relationships, and uh, you know, that's part of the story. It doesn't lead anybody anywhere by virtue of having, you know, loose morals or whatever you want to say. And and I prefer that kind of thing. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I am I am glad to know I I'm glad to note that over the past few years that kind of thing has fallen away from uh from a lot of American horror filmmaking, and whether it is because there's a recognition within horror filmmakers that it it's such a cliche that we need to move away from it, or if it's just that the filmmakers themselves go well no that's what audiences expect now we can't do that or they're just going to be staring at the screen going well when are you going to kill that
4: character,
3: <laughs> right. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think in general with European horror, it's not so taboo. Uh, the first thing when you were talking about it that came to my mind was uh, Don't Torture a Duckling. Okay. Because the, the one of the, the heroes of that film, one of the heroes all but explicitly said to be a pedophile. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, and that is, that is, you know, it is something that is, you know, not like celebrated, but she is, uh, you know, she's still one of the heroes of the film and her, the whole film is about, you know, don't get so hung up about sexual morality. Because it leads to this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so maybe that's a bad example, but I think it's kind of typical of of that the attitude towards sexuality in these European horror movies
2: and I think you're right I think you're right uh, uh, I want to shift gears just a little bit here and take note of the fact that um, I'm not sure what I can't remember for the life of me if I ever really looked into exactly how this movie ended up in public domain here in the states and therefore became uh, much like fury of the wolf man fairly easy to get your hands on um, mm-hmm. but for that period of time, this movie uh, had that kind of exceptional life on uh, uh, cheaper VHS tapes and cheaper DVD sets. So it did kind of uh, filter out to a larger audience than it necessarily would have. But at the same time, this is the film "Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman" is the film that made Paul Nashy an international star. It's the mm-hmm. it's the film mm-hmm. that yeah. popped him. Pretty much worldwide, and allowed him to have the incredible burst of filmmaking creativity that he had for the next five years, uh, where he was often making five or six movies a year and writing, uh, you know, writing three to four of them. And so, um, what we're what we're doing here is seeing when with this film, kind of the 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 final proof of concept of what Nashi had been trying to do. Since 1968,
3: mm-hmm. which and it is been, and it, yeah, and had been told and suggested by other directors and producers that he was just on the wrong track. They need to try and try try western or try something, you know, try yeah. comedy, try to get into something else, not horror movies.
2: But he persisted, and damn if he didn't finally pull it off.
3: Um, well, and this wasn't it wasn't just you know was this wasn't just a, a a huge for his. I mean, it had a seismic effect across Spanish cinema. You know, I yes, mean, it, it, yeah.
2: yeah. And that kind of brings me to the the second question that that kind of falls follows from that, which is, there was that little mini boom in the '70s that what that wasn't just monster movies from Paul Naschy, but it was Spanish horror. Uh, it started in the in the '60s and uh, it really died pretty much the death of the damned by the late '70s. But the uh, that period of time there were a lot of. Yeah, fantastic Spanish horror films made. You've already mentioned the uh, the Blind Dead films, but there were lots of others as well. And I'm just wondering how familiar you've become with uh, any of the other Spanish horror films
4: from the period. So for me, I, of course, the, the Blind Dead, when I started becoming aware of these things, was one I sought out. And I became aware just when Blue Underground's box set went out of print. Ah, okay. So... I could not get my hands on that at the time without paying, you know, aftermarket prices. Mm-hmm. And so again, that went to, you know, Oh, someone uploaded this in 10 parts to YouTube, <laughs> uh, right. you know, or, you know, things like that to try and get my hands on. I became very aware of that. There was uh European, but specifically Italian and, and Spanish Horror movies, and partly because I got a uh, a DVD of of all things, the movie Beckett, yeah. and it was from a, a very weird distributor, like a who didn't normally do that sort of you know kind of high class thing or whatever, right? Yeah, and so their catalog that they put in had all sorts of weird stuff it had some giallos it had like German creamy films it had and one of the titles was uh, one of the titles in it was uh, Night of the Sorcerers oh okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. which just from the uh, just from the little description on the blurb that's you know Night of the Sorcerers Spain 1973 4 uh, I don't and, remember but yeah. And that it, and that it says Night of for Spain 1970 something. A jungle expedition runs afoul of uh shape-shifting cat witches. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I got to see that." Oh, uh, dear.
3: yeah. <laughs>
4: and uh you know, I I didn't get to for a long time, but just that kind of led me down this path of okay, so Spanish horror from this period is very different from Italian horror, which was much more available. I think that was around the time I saw Suspiria for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of finding out that there are all these different, these avenues, these tentacles. Uh, And so for a long time, it was looking information up about these films. There was a period of time where I could have told you everything about uh, any number of Giallo, but I hadn't seen them. I could have told you the Mm -hmm. story who composed Mm -hmm. it, you know, I could have told you, you know, this is the key scene for this, but I hadn't seen it. I'd just done so much research on the film. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Um, and so, and then when, you know, started getting on the internet more. Even when the internet was widespread, my family didn't have it because we lived in a rural place, and it was more expensive to get the internet out where we were. So, I didn't even get to like one when the internet was widespread, I didn't get to look into these things unless I was at school. And then I had to be looking over my shoulder.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, of course.
4: But then when we got the internet at home, finally, I was, you know, just constantly, constantly finding these and snippets on video websites and just kind of building what I had seen. I found a, uh, torrent site that is gone now, I can't remember the name, that just specialized in these. And so I would download them to the family computer and then while I was doing homework or whatever, I'd be watching them in the corner of the screen uh, on Windows Media Player. <laughs> <laughs> so, <sighs> that'll, that'll
2: cut your concentration on your point. Yes, now. it
4: <laughs> will. Yes, it will. And that was actually, Night of the Sorcerers is one of the first ones I, I grabbed from that because I'd read so read about it, you know, however long mm. before that.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And that there were times that I just, you know, jaw drops staring at the, you know, <laughs> one inch by two inch square in the <laughs> corner of the family computer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Wow. Okay. That's great. Well,
2: of course, nowadays it's a lot easier to get our hands on these things. Thank God, but the uh, uh, the there there's still a number of uh, truly amazing Spanish horror films that are uh, not yet available on Blu-ray, and we of course you know light a little candle and and uh, pr- pray toward our Nashi God in the hopes that eventually yes. all <laughs> these Spanish horror films will see the light of of uh, of a high definition digital disc, please, please allow them all to come out, but in the meantime. Uh, we can we can concentrate on the ones that are here and uh, just be glad that they are. To talk a little bit about the 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 Valdemar Valdemar Daninsky character, um, this is this this movie really is kind of the jumping off point. I I do absolutely love the very first of these films where we get the whole establishment of the character and the kind of doomed. Anti-hero that he is, you know, he, he much like the the classic Wolfman character played by Lon Chaney Jr. You know, he, th- this werewolf is a, a tortured soul. He's 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 a brooding man who has been cursed and and therefore is in the worst of all possible positions, which is a man with uh, uh, the enviable ability to. Live a very long life, but at the cost of his own soul in very, very many ways. Uh, uh, over time, Nashi became adept at playing this character in many nuanced ways. I mean, he, you know, he he was learning on the job uh, w- with the first couple of films, and but I think by this one, he's really in the pocket. He's really good at presenting this character as the the tortured human. Cursed by lycanthropy, that he is throughout all of these movies, and this is one of the best performances of that that you can that you can point to, uh, because he is that character throughout this movie. He is from the beginning to the end. There's not a point in this story. Where he's a normal guy who then gets cursed, and then we, you know, we watch him turn into this different kind of person. He is this cursed bastard from from Jump Street. I think that that is a really smart way to go, uh, if you're going to tell these kinds of stories. Uh, even if he didn't often do that, uh, one of the one of the the things about the the Danitsky films is often we start with. Uh, you know, yet another guy named Valdemar Daninsky who doesn't seem to be the Valdemar Daninsky guy in the other films. Who yeah. he's just a normal dude, and then something happens, and he becomes a werewolf, and so we have to go through the whole. It's like rewatching Batman's origin story to a large degree, only you know, with a lot more neck meat being rip, ripped out. But <laughs> I really think that one of the strengths of this film is that we almost hit this. We hit the ground in the middle of the story this movie whether you want to think of it as following directly on the previous film fury the wolfman and considering what fury the wolfman is like to watch trust me i understand if you don't (laughs) want to you don't want to think in those terms or you can just see it as a standalone film just like you know so many of the others have to be viewed with us just showing up late and trying to catch up along with these guys who are stupid enough to yank Silver bullets out of a dead lycanthrope. Lycanthrope. Like, I know I can't even talk. Out of a dead werewolf's chest. How's that? I won't even attempt the multi-syllable word. I'm obviously wrong tonight. But um, I think that at, I think that it's actually one of the great strengths of this movie that it does narratively hit the ground running. We start the film with a werewolf. We end the film with a werewolf, and that is the film. I, I I know that it probably could be done, and I think that it has been done, certainly it was done in The Howling, where you have a werewolf who revels in being a werewolf, mm. who loves being a werewolf, loves being a murderous beast, loves the freedom of being able to set that demonic kind mm. of cruel, vicious, murderous side of himself free and rip and tear and kill. But in general... All werewolves in cinema history have been this reluctant, this reluctant bastard. Like as she plays him, is that part of the appeal for you, Robert, or is it just fuck it? It's a monster movie, and that's what I
4: love about it. Well, you know, for me, it started with fuck it. It's a monster movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one one of the big uh things I come back to in my writing about the appeal of monsters. One of one of the big tent poles of the writing I've done for Record All Monsters and various other things is... Uh, I'm, I'm Hispanic, and in the Hispanic community here in South Texas, there's just, I mean, huge appreciation for monsters and horror movie characters. You will see an eight-year-old kid walking around in a Freddy Krueger T-shirt, and he has seen the Dream Warriors four or five times there. yeah so uh
3: one that's of the
4: cool. things that's always fascinated me is why why is this in this community i'm a part of why is this such oh, why are monsters so appealing uh-huh. um and so i think for me the the draw to werewolves as you know my name is robert kelly uh, and I don't look how a lot of people think a Robert Kelly should look. Uh, <laughs> so I think there there is you know, I, you know what I went to Canada once to meet meet up with uh, some people I knew online, mm-hmm. and uh, they passed me by in the airport. Oh wow! Because they were not looking for a six foot four Mexican, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> They were, I don't know who they were looking for, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so I think that there's something about you know with the werewolf in particular, and I think a lot of times the way Paul Nashie plays it, uh, because he is very much doing on the model of of Larry Talbot and Lon Chaney mm-hmm. Jr. Yeah, that there is this this duality, this oh, and this awareness of the duality. And I think as I got older, that appealed to me. But I think as a kid that that spoke to that that i didn't have the words for that or the understanding of what that was but there was something in a werewolf and especially in the werewolf in this movie being the hero i mean there's all sorts of loops that they have to go through to make it happen but he's the hero and the monster at the same time yeah and that was appealing to me in a lot of the same way the show of godzilla movies were when i was a kid he's the hero he's the monster yeah uh, he he's not allowed to have a happy ending but he makes it possible for others to. Mm-hmm.
2: well i mean I, you you came very close to a phrase that i've bandied about a, a few times which is he's the he's the hero monster he's the monster hero he is both embodied in a single person and uh you're right it, it, those showa era uh those you know those those 60s and 70s godzilla films we, we have the giant monster who is, you know, a friend to children, not like mm-hmm. Gamera. We're not talking about a turtle here. We're talking about a giant irradiated litter, lizard. And at the same time, yeah, it was impossible to to be a kid and watch those movies and not just respond to the the simple desire to root for Godzilla. Because when Godzilla's on screen, shit's happening.
3: Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. And that's what we want. We want to see shit happening. We want to see buildings crushed and monsters stomping things and you know giant battles with, you know, squid or whatever, you know, colorful creature you can throw up on the screen and there's a lot of that involved in any monster film. I mean, you know, scratch a horror film fan and you find a monster fan if if yes. they're if they're worth a damn because what we're really interested in are watching these you know, for lack of a better term, and we'll expand on it if we need to, these villainous characters do shit. Mm-hmm. They're the prime movers. They're the ones who make things occur within the story. They're the reason the story exists. And it is a joy to know that one of the reasons I think Nashi, even as a child, gravitated toward the werewolf character is that it is very much, whether a kid could have ever grasped it or not, It is very much that feeling that kids have of being these strange, awkward things that feel sometimes completely overtaken by their emotions and and end up doing things that they, they completely regret later on, but that they feel in the moment they have no control over. There's something about that part of human nature, especially when you're a child, and as you grow up, almost everybody can identify with the idea of being so overtaken by emotions or being so overtaken with your desire for something that you almost feel yourself lose control and do something that you regret. Mm -hmm. And so these, these creatures, the werewolf, unlike so many other monster creatures that you can think of, they are easy to see yourself in. In other words, it's not, much of a stretch for an adolescent or a, t- you know, a a teenage or a 20-year-old boy to see themselves as this dual-natured creature, uh, someone who honestly wants to be good but feels all of these horrendous urges pushing them to be, for lack of a better term, bad.
4: Yes. And I, I think a lot of times it gets even like... Almost, I don't want to say boiled down, but it gets to where it's, you know, the focus is on puberty. Like, oh, you're, it's, it's late at night and you're hairy and you're feeling (laughs) weird. Uh, but, but it's not uh, just that. No, it's not just that. It's, you know, when you're six and you're at the grocery store with your mom and you want to, uh, you know, you want, you know, the weird little Archie comic at the checkout. And she's like, "No, we're not getting that." And so, well, you know, it's kind of cold outside. Wearing a denim jacket—it's got huge pockets. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: you know, like. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, What's it's really it's, stopping it's, me. It's—it's it's, it's not just that. It's that—it's that, and I still have these thoughts going through my head in my fifties. I'll be in a store and think to myself, "Wow." It, it, there's a part of me that just wonders what it would look like if I just put my arm into that into that shelf and <laughs> yes. ripped all those boxes of cereal off onto the floor. Just what would that look like? I'm never gonna do it. I'm not a psycho, but the <laughs> thought is there. Yeah. And when you're a kid, those thoughts are there too, but mm-hmm. you aren't wise enough or, or, or experienced enough to know, Oh well, that's really stu- that's really stupid. The price you're going right. to pay for doing this is obscene. <laughs> you don't want to get anywhere near this. It's not worth you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's an urge you need to suppress because <laughs> there is no good that will come of this. Nothing. <laughs> and so the werewolf is always going to be that that monster character that is so is is most easily identified with. And uh, I've always I've, I found it fascinating over the years to to run across so many women. Who uh, also find the werewolf character to be easy to identify with. So it's not just a male thing. That's one of the no. things that I that when we were talking with uh, with Cat Ellinger uh, about uh, her love of these films, her identification with that dual nature the, the 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 person who wants to be good but is driven to be bad. Is it's it's universal? It's not a it's not just a male thing, but I think that overall, it's always gotten gendered that way because the vast majority of werewolf characters in cinema are male. Wolf and, man,
4: um, yeah,
2: like. and it's and uh, of course there's a there's a much bigger gender split with with vampire characters. Uh, Need we mention the title Vampire Women? Uh, oh, and just out of curiosity, and this is this is kind of a minor thing. Uh, this movie's known under a a, a a grab bag of different titles. Um,
3: yeah.
2: Uh, what's I mean, there's Werewolf Shadow, there's Shadow the Werewolf, there's Walpurgis Purgus Night, which is a literal translation of the Spanish title,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and then there's Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. What's everybody's favorite title for the film?
3: I kind of like. Uh, I always, I always thought "Werewolf Shadow" was a cool title. I always actually liked that one. That was kind of one I always gravitated to.
4: I, I think "Werewolf Shadow" sounds like a great title for a different movie. Oh, uh, no, interesting point. Yeah, I could say maybe
2: that. maybe a giant kaiju werewolf casting
4: a <laughs> shadow. <laughs> that would. <laughs> but I I I think that's such a compelling title. Uh, I found it under not even werewolf versus the vampire women but or the werewolf versus vampire women as it was werewolf versus vampire woman like <laughs> almost <laughs> like they were yeah. superheroes i was, was going to say that's, that that oh, sounds like wow. a superhero title kind of like yeah. yeah vampire woman werewolf yeah. versus vampire woman was how i the that you know cardboard dvd box had it and i like kind of the pulpy like down to brass tacks mm-hmm. nature of that. I mean you don't get the actual fight until the very end of the film. Yeah. Mm. But conceptually the entire movie is like this without them ever meeting until the end. This yeah. chess game between uh right. D- Daninsky and Wandessa. Yeah great point. Yeah. Uh so I I think it suits the film and it sounds like you know pulpy trash at the same time and <laughs> i don't know if and then you have the more intellectual title of you know Walpurgis night which either goes oh that's a clever reference if you're a folklore nerd like me or uh the hell's a Walpurgis.
3: yeah right when, well, uh, was,
4: which yeah. is how i first you know when i first heard that <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, when I first saw it turn up that way in some of the bootleg listings, I thought it was some sort of odd uh, foreign word for uh, for werewolf. You know, I didn't realize, you know, it took me a long time to realize what it was actually, uh, what Purgus was. And, you know, and, and from a purely exploitation standpoint, I mean, uh, neither Werewolf Shadow nor Walpurgis Knight would be a, a very exploitable title to release the film under, you know, it's it's a werewolf versus well, vampire. Well, not, not, not
2: so, in the <laughs> English-speaking world. It's not no. a well-enough-known no. thing, Yeah. Right, right. I have you know, to admit I, that over time, I've, I've, I really like Walpurgis Night* as a title to the point where I, I've tried to will myself into thinking of the film under that title, but I just always revert back to vampire, <laughs> werewolf versus the vampire woman every time. Uh, there's just something. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's the, it's the most descriptive title. That, I mean. It's it's like it it's like werewolf versus the Yeti. It's just it, it mm-hmm. tells it's it tells you it tells you what's in the fucking movie. It's so here Here's the title. Here's what you're getting: a werewolf and a vampire woman. Anything beyond that is just gravy. Well, and I,
4: I think it's funny that when we were setting this up, you know, in our chats, we we referred to this movie by all three of its different titles at different points, I think. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And okay. I don't think any of us missed a beat. Like we just like, no. it's interchangeable okay. at this point. We know what yeah. it is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, and it kind of is a film of multiple titles and it's, mm. it may be the other than werewolf versus the Yeti, which I struggle to not think of as night of the howling beast, because that's how I first saw it. Um, it's it's the one it's the one of his films that I do honestly automatically think of you know three or four different titles as soon as I'm thinking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't do that with uh, I don't do that with Hunchback of the Morgue. It's Hunchback of the Morgue. Uh, well, there is one other I'll admit that um, I do sometimes think, although less so these days, of the title House of Psychotic Women when I think of Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. But it's, you know, kind of, you know, 60-40 for the most part on those two titles. Uh, which is more exploitable? Well, I think things are obvious there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you could have just called it, you know, Psychotic Women and it would have been just as exploitable. But anyway, the, uh, the multiple titles... I don't want to say problem, but the multiple title thing with a lot of these these great you know Eurotrash films is often seen as a as as a detriment because you're almost having to to make people understand who are even nece- who are even sometimes fans of these films in the first place which film mm-hmm. you're talking about when you mm-hmm. start going when you start going to market it uh, and it, it becomes that thing where. Uh, you have a, an absolutely amazing film from Paul Naschy that is simply not known in the English-speaking world, and you, you like *Mondo Macabro*, had to do with uh, *El Caminante* and just invent a new title the, mm-hmm. that that will tell people, you know, a, a, a kind of what's in the film. What you know, we need a title that gives people an idea of what they're getting when they see this thing. So we, we're going to call it *The Devil Incarnate*. Which, you know, good English title, if that film had ever gotten released over here, would have been a viable title to light up a marquee screen.
4: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the. Which I, I. Sorry, little tangent here. That's kind of spoils. The title kind of spoils the way the film is written. But I also. I don't the know
2: the the, the i we've talked Troy and I've talked about this. Well, a lot. I
4: mean, I mean that opening the, scene, the, the,
2: the opening scene where you're you're viewing off in the distance, Nashi's character walking toward the camera through campfire flames. It's a kind of a you know you need to be paying you know if, you, if you, that kind of tells you the deal right there. It's like uh, come uh, on, we're giving uh, you the
4: visual. I, and the the other thing I wanted to bring up is that I I want to thank Mondo Macabro for doing the the cover art on that one and the way they did, because that's one of the ones I I don't feel like I need to, uh you know like cover my Blu-ray shelf when my <laughs> niece comes over. Yeah, some of those some of those Mondo Macabro covers. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. As much as I may appreciate it, it is a uh, it is a drape a cloth over the stack kind of thing. Yeah.
4: I, I noticed on your cover art for the Blu-ray roundup, you just had the spines of those. Yes,
2: yes. well, kind of is the easiest way to get across a number of uh, a number of titles. Here you go, see all these without having to uh, fudge or or you know shift things around so that certain elements of say uh, certain bodies are covered. But yeah, <laughs> hey, at least we didn't have to hide a goat. So. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man! So, uh, guys, I got to say on this, uh, you know, on this this new, I guess, refreshing spin I took through uh, through uh, Werewolf from the Vampire Women here this time around. It, uh, one thing that hit home to me again now uh, is that I always feel like Barbara Capel just pretty much steals the film. Yeah,
4: oh yeah, yeah.
3: I just love her in this film. You know, I just think that uh, uh, she really, uh, you know. Sorry, Gabby Fuchs, but I really feel like she just kind of <laughs> undermines or overshadows Gabby Fuchs. Uh, and they're both very, you know, both beautiful women. It's not that. It's just I feel like her character and the way she plays it is she's so lively. And I mean, I feel like she brings a great energy to the movie.
2: Well, she's um, she's an energetic and interesting character. Yes. Yeah. Uh, both before and after she's vampirized. So and yeah. it's it, it, she seems to in those sequences when she's a vampire she seems to be just having a ball she's just
4: yeah. very happy to be the undead and it's such a contrast to uh you know Nash's character who's just miserable yeah uh and then when she's a vampire she's the same person she was before yeah yeah and I I love that I I remember even when I was you know. Nine years old, watching this for the first time or whatever, wondering why wasn't she cast as the lead? <laughs> yeah, well, I know. It's I mean, come on.
2: When you when you've got Patty Shepard in the lead, I'm not going to argue. Well, so.
4: I, I mean, uh, I mean, and Gabby Fuchs. Oh, you mean for Gabby Fuchs? Girl. Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry.
2: I'm sorry. When, no, you, when no. you say when you say lead, I'm already thinking of the
4: oh no, Patty. One. Patty Shepard, I think was. Like I, I think I wanted to to marry her when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah, no kidding. Um,
2: yes, marry that. That's the, we'll use that
4: word. Well, I was eight, so the two concepts yeah, yeah. were were uh, tied together. Uh, yeah. uh, there you go. Nice save, <laughs> but, sir. But uh, and then uh,
3: yeah, you, you thought those I, stirrings you felt were were stirrings towards matrimony? You didn't yes,
4: like. that's what that's Certainly. what they had to have been, right? Um of course. Of course. Um, he was a good little Catholic boy, uh, <laughs> and and then of course I do think that uh, Barbara Capel's boobs may have been the first ones I ever saw. Given the
3: yeah, wow, interesting. That's really? yeah, that, gives me, that would
4: have been. given the wow. age. Yeah, maybe yeah. Uh, I don't know who's going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh my. Well that's well for, well wait a minute. Don't don't we see uh, the first female victim, the one under the credits, don't we see her breasts first? So wouldn't Maria Tovar have actually been? Well in
4: in the in the public domain version, it it cuts to the title screen. Oh, right oh. over that. It doesn't edit out any of the other boobs, mm-hmm. but it cuts straight to the title screen, which may be why it was in the public domain because I don't think the copyright dates on there Oh, that would that make sense.
2: That may be the reason. And yeah, I mean, that would be uh, that would be how they would get that title on the print, which yeah, you're ma- you're making a lot of sense there, sir. Mhm. Oh, well, well, Barbara, Barbara Capel, I completely understand. Uh, Tro- Troy, is there is there uh is there uh, a little pocket in your heart for Miss Capel?
3: Oh, always has been. Always has been. I just, yeah. I, just think I wish she had wish she had, wish that she had done more movies, you know. and like said, I said, I just think that she just uh like I said, I feel like she steals the scenes and and, and she's you were saying contrast to or saying what a great contrast she is to Gabby Fuchs, but she's also really a great contrast to Patty Shepherd. The two of them together make great because yeah. Shepard's, you know, the way she plays a character, of course, is like an, an old world royalty. A queen character, and, uh, and you pair her with Barbara Capel, who's like you know, essentially this kind of hippie vampire, you know, uh, fun-loving hippie vampire, you know. That they just said <laughs> that, but they're just so fun together. Scenes are just great. I love, I always love, yeah. always love Klamowski's take on that he in this film that he kind of makes the vampires almost these sort of fairy tale creatures, you know the. The way that the the way he films and not just the slow motion but the things they do like when they just kind of do that dance together you know and then they're just uh, there's almost this, this kind of really kind of brings the otherworldly quality to to that, that creature
2: well Klamovsky was a master of Fog or mist and slow yeah, motion really. to to kind of amp up the creepiness and atmosphere and yeah. that that really pays off in this film a lot. The only I'm, detriment that I could find in this film that I'm willing to lodge against it is that because of the character that Patty Shepard plays, we never get to see her
4: in a mini skirt, and that yeah. is a crime. Yeah, so,
3: you're right. You're right. That's yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. The um, I was I was paying close attention to the slow motion uh, this time. Because I hadn't really thought about it. And then I listened to... I listened to... Re-listened to your episode. And I was like, I'm going to pay attention to that before I go on. And it's... Uh, it's really artfully done. And I think yeah. even... He must be directing the uh, the non-vampiric characters. There's a few scenes where it doesn't look like split screen. But it looks like when, when Nashi raises the uh, the cross at uh, Genevieve in the hallway. And we're seeing it from over his shoulder. Yeah. You know, he must have been directed to move at a certain speed in a certain way because she's in slow motion and he's not. It's very well done. It's very carefully used uh, throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
2: it's it's best to remember that uh, by the time Leon Komovsky had made this film, he had been directing movies for uh, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he'd been making movies for a long time and had been a director since, hold on to your hats, folks, since mm-hmm. the 1940s. So, uh, yeah, no. his, his first couple of films as director are from uh, 1947 and 1949. So by the time you get to the 70s, this man, uh, there's a reason he had a good reputation for being able to, to uh, bring a film in on, on budget and on time, but it's also... That much experience allows you to know how to reach certain uh, effects within camera mm-hmm. to be able to get some of those things that we're talking about, and you know to, to be able to say to actors maybe exactly what you were just talking about about look we're going to do this and, and it's going to be we're going to run it in slow mo so we're going to be shooting at a high rate of speed and so I want you to act at half speed so that you look normal. I'm not sure, but it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me in the least.
3: Yeah, and I, and and you know, watching again, always it always sneaks up on me. I always forget that Carlos Alred was a, was an assistant on this film.
2: Oh yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. of course, with Allred's four four Nashi films as a another uh, mm-hmm. landmark uh, grouping of Nashi classics, it's it's yeah, you know th- this this is a bit of a jumping off point for some of the best stuff that Nashi produced in the seventies, bar none. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just mm-hmm. great stuff. Absolutely. Well, uh, Robert, I think we'll take the time now to uh, kick you to the curb and forget you exist. So, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, no way. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, well, well, please, uh, before, before we do such thing, and I'm, I'm putting on the big heavy Australian boot as we speak, so uh, go ahead and tell the good folks where they can hear more of your ramblings about, uh, well, probably kaiju films, I think.
4: Ramblings is right. I host a podcast called "Record All Monsters." We're kind of on an unofficial hiatus right now, just because real life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, and I wrote nothing about that. <laughs> nothing, not a clue. Uh, I, I wrote a book of essays because the show generally there's an essay portion and then a discussion with a guest. And, and then a, a multiple game
2: choice... Po- no, I'm sorry.
4: Well, no, there is. There's, there's a game I, show. I don't, there's I don't. a game show of a, you know usually very tangentially related trivia questions. Um, my favorite example to give people is when we covered Conga, mm-hmm. the 1961 movie starring Michael Goff as a mad scientist who grows uh-huh. his pet chimpanzee to the size of Big Ben. The game show for that episode was about wacky golden age Batman stories since he played Alfred in the uh nineties yeah. Batman movies. Yeah. There you nice. go. So uh that's kind of, there's this wild swing on the show between hopefully not pretentious but intellectual ideas and just the most goofball shit you can think of. It is all ages. I don't I don't really cuss over there. I have no problem cussing up a swear here using a fuck word in general but that
2: I'm happy to let you do that but I tend to I tend to stay away from that shit
4: (laughs) but uh so just uh kind of the tone of the show is is, it's a little (laughs) gentler yeah over there (laughs) and the I think in general the films we're talking about are a little gentler uh we are in our third season right now on and off uh we're going to be talking about mostly the Kong exploitation phenomena.
3: Ooh. Mm, that, oh, that'd be great. Uh,
4: yeah, That's so cool. I have a... a dis- I, I published the essay portion of our uh, King Kong 76 episode on Substack. And the uh, conversation we had with our guest Nathaniel Smith, who did the actually did our cover art for the book and for the podcast itself. Uh, I'm going to be putting that up at some point when I'm done editing it. Which I'm just kind of doing when I remember to. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> uh, editing the curse of all podcasts.
3: Yeah. So, so now, where can your book be found? Or...
4: My book right now is only on Amazon, or if you see me, I usually have a couple of copies in my bag uh, okay. that I will gladly hurl at you in exchange for $10. <laughs> uh, and is
3: it the same title as the show? Is it is Yeah. It a- well
4: the uh the the book has the somewhat baroque title Record All Monsters, the Book of the Essays from the Podcast <laughs> I wanted to call it the Book of the Essays of from the Podcast of the same name. And then in parentheses <laughs> under that, Record All Monsters. <laughs>
3: um
4: but I was talked out of that by friends. Uh friends
3: friends don't let friends give their books bad titles so,
4: yeah. yes i don't i still don't think it's a bad title but you know no,
2: no, no. <laughs> no it's, it's it's just a confusing one and one that will, will would definitely uh, be a head scratcher for anyone coming I, to a cold
3: well, it's I would one that think, takes, yeah, it takes I would you so think, long to read it. You know, it takes you so long to read it that that the by the time you finish reading it, you don't even realize you've already shelled out the money and hit you know hit send you know. On
4: that <laughs> well, and yeah, and the book it's uh, you know, it's a it's a it's almost coffee table book sized, mostly because I was having a hell of a time formatting it, and it looked good like that on the page. So yeah, it's forty two essays about giant monster movies as well as the game shows question and answers oh, that cool. were on Missed. those
3: episodes. Wow. That sounds awesome. That's very cool. And That's it nice. has
4: a, a pool quote from our mutual friend, Derek of oh, monster yeah. kid radio. Nice. He, he was a big help on it. And I'm going to shout him out for that very reason. Yeah. He, he was a big help on some of the, just even the encouragement of getting that out.
2: Uh, well, Robert, once again, want to thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, uh, man. I, uh, I I held back this little bit little bit of uh of of commentary. I just would like to say that uh, unlike the uh, tagline or one of three taglines that are on the American poster for this film, this is not a movie that I think you should see with someone you hate. <laughs> Grab someone you love instead. <laughs> the blood does flow like vintage wine, but the neck meat helps you sop it up. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, thank you very much for uh, being here, talking to us about Paul Nashi and particularly this film and uh, Troy thank you yes. for being here once again suffering through the madness that is uh, Zoom calls
4: <laughs>
2: and uh, I will say uh, goodbye and I'll have you two say goodbye as well bye bye everyone bye bye, adios perfect Why have I never thought of that?
4: Jesus Christ.